Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. Lauren is off this week, but Kelsey, it is great to have you back on with us today. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. As a regular contributor to the show, it's so fun when I get to co-host with you, and we have so much to talk about today, a lot of big issues ahead of us. Uh, One, I guess, not maybe quite as big an issue, but still a very fun topic to discuss, is that we have arrived in the fall season. That means fall fashion, boots, scarves, big sweaters, the works. And there was one uh, pretty bold fashion statement that caught some attention recently. The singer Rihanna made her own bold fashion statement wearing a shirt that said, think while it's still legal. Kelsey, did you see this? I did see it. And I have to be honest, I don't know anything about Rihanna's political leanings. uh, But this t-shirt is clearly sending a message against the liberal groupthink narrative where you you cannot think for yourself. Uh, There's only one politically correct narrative you are allowed to abide by. Um, And so I think that this t-shirt has made some individuals on the left a bit uncomfortable and uh, left many of them wondering about where she stands politically. Yeah, well, I think it's a little wild that a shirt reading Think While It's Still Legal is now newsworthy, but we are at that point in our culture and society where it's that important for people to be speaking that message of, hey, use your brain, think, just don't just go along with Uh, with groupthink. So uh, it was encouraging to see someone that is as high profile as Rihanna out there encouraging people to use their brains. So good job, Rihanna. (laughs) But we do have a great show planned for today. Kelsey, tell us what we have queued up. So Twitter censored a 2017 Daily Signal documentary about the Border Patrol's horse patrol unit. Uh, We're going to tell you all about that. It's something actually I produced uh, quite a few years ago for the Daily Signal. Um, We're also going to discuss the far left working to erase the word women. We have a few new examples of this. Uh, We explain why they're doing this and what can be done about it. We will also discuss the government's $3.5 trillion spending bill, which includes funding for universal... Uh, pre-K and uh, government-funded child care. We'll break down some of those major implications, government-funded daycare and preschool, and as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are problematic women or just support strong conservative independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encourage others to listen and subscribe. Your support really does make a difference. All right, Kelsey, let's get to it. Earlier this week, Twitter slapped a warning label on a four-year-old Daily Signal documentary. What was the subject of this censored video? 
horses. And more specifically, Border Patrol horses. So the question is, why did Twitter all of a sudden claim a horse video from 2017 was sensitive material? Last week, you probably saw that there was a lot of controversy over pictures and video of Border Patrol agents on horseback. The agents were using their horses to try to prevent migrants from crossing the border. But claims were made that the agents were using horse whips on the migrants. The problem with this claim is that Border Patrol agents don't carry whips, and the rope-like material seen in the images was actually reins, what is used to steer the horses, and the agents were swinging those reins to try to control the horses. Yes, Virginia, and since those images went viral, the photographer who actually captured them Uh, came out and uh, corrected the misinformation and said he did not see any Border Patrol agents whipping horses and that his photos were being, quote, misconstrued. So in the midst of the misinformation that was spreading all over Twitter and other social media networks and the media outlets about these Border Patrol agents on horseback, the Daily Signal reshared our documentary that I produced four years ago on the role horses play uh, in securing our border and specifically why horses are so uniquely equipped to help these agents do their job. Uh, We're going to play you a very short soundbite from this video, uh, which really you'll hear contains no alleged sensitive information. Our environment in San Diego, it's very unique. We have beach, we have mountain, and we have desert. So our horses work in all three of those environments, and they learn them very well. But because of their senses being so keen, a horse can see, even at night, up to two miles on a clear night. So they know when there's a a natural hazard there that they, they can't cross or they need to stop because they may hurt themselves. We will be sure to put a link in the show notes so that you all can watch that full Daily Signal documentary that Kelsey produced. But Kelsey, let's talk about the censorship of this video. Why did Twitter slap a sensitive content label on this Daily Signal documentary? Well, if any of our listeners watch that video, I think they'll be as baffled as we are as to why Twitter did censor it. So when the Daily Signal posted it on Twitter, uh, many uh, many users got a notification saying the following media includes potentially sensitive content. Now, again, this was a video that we produced back in 2017 before any of this controversy surrounding Border Patrol agents on horseback existed. Uh, this was a purely educational video to uh, show Americans one of the many tools our Border Patrol agents use to keep keep people on both sides of the border safe. Uh, it, it is honestly one of the least controversial videos I have ever produced in my <laughs> lifetime. And so, of course, the only conclusion we can arrive to is the fact that uh, we shared it in the context of the viral photographs and videos uh, of these agents allegedly uh, whipping Haitian migrants, which we know have since been debunked and corrected. Uh, in fact, the uh, the photographer 
said they were his photos were being quote misconstrued and twitter it, it, on on one hand this is this is so silly because it shouldn't have happened but on the other hand it's very serious and i'm glad that the daily signal and the heritage foundation uh, put out public statements condemning Twitter for this censor- censorship because it had the effect of suppressing video views and cutting off a significant contribution to the conversation that was occurring in real time about the border crisis and specifically Border Patrol agents who ride on horseback. It robbed the, op- the public of an opportunity to learn more about why the Border Patrol uses horses to secure the border and how they go about doing that. And then mm-hmm. even worse, slapping the sensitive content label on this harmless video sent a message to Twitter users that the Daily Signal's report featured violent or upsetting content that might have upset them. Um, this suggests that our video you know, su- even supported the narrative that Border Patrol agents acted improperly, which couldn't be further from the truth and is that, in fact was part of what we were trying to do is correct the record about what these border patrol agents on horseback actually do and the challenges they face in doing their jobs. Uh, So it was very disappointing uh, that Twitter decided to censor it. It, it. It makes no sense. And it is important to point out that this type of political censorship very much exists. It's real. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, Really, what is happening here is the villainization of our Border Patrol agents. These are men and women that are doing a really hard job, but it's a job that has to be done. I mean, even even uh, former President Barack Obama says that having open borders is unsustainable. This is not, this shouldn't be a controversial issue. We cannot have open borders. It It's actually... It's not uh, it's it's not mercy. It's not helping um, migrants who want to come to this country to just swing the gates wide open and say, everyone come in, because uh, that actually that creates more issues. And that means that, you know, the, the land of opportunity very, very quickly starts to have the exact same problems as the countries that these individuals are fleeing from. If these individuals want to come to a nation like America that has freedom, that has opportunity, we we do have to take steps to, to limit the number of migrants that we allow in every year. We have to take steps to be vetting individuals properly to make sure we are letting those in uh, who who are, are trusted individuals, who uh, who are safe to be let into the country. So I, I think it's it's so uh, critical to be talking about this issue, to be pushing back and to be raising a flag and saying, hold on, wait, these men and women are not the villains here. They are doing their job and they're doing it well, even though it is incredibly hard. And Kelsey, I know you have gotten to speak with many of them in the work that you have done both on on that trip in 2017 and in other instances. Uh, Tell us a little bit about these men and women that you've met. Well, first off, I want to note that remark that you uh, mentioned from former President Obama about open borders being unsustainable was actually censored by ABC News, which was doing the interview with Obama. Uh, it was published in the written report. Uh, it did not make it to air. And of course, that's a very newsworthy remark from uh, our former president under which 
Joe Biden served as vice president to say open borders is unsustainable. Uh, Of course, the White House uh, contends that we don't have an open border policy. But if if allowing 10,000 migrants to uh, enter the United States from Haiti isn't an open border policy, I would challenge them uh, on what is. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, I want to make one more note about uh, the, the censorship that, that happened to our Daily Signal video uh, in the context of the smearing of our Border Patrol agents. So the, the, we, if you go on Twitter right now, you can find endless tweets from blue check marks, media organizations, politicians still, uh, still perpetuating the debunked whipping narrative. Uh, we, even... Um, even President Joe Biden uh, enabled this in saying, you know, saying this Border Patrol agent uh, will face consequences without the investigation actually playing out first. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, the, fo- the photographer who <laughs> took these photos has since corrected the narrative, said that he did not witness any Border Patrol agents whipping migrants. We also know that Border Patrol agents do not even carry whips. And so this, mm-hmm. this claim was clearly debunked. It is false. And Twitter is enabling it still to spread far and wide on its platform. And yet at the same time, what is it choosing to censor? A completely accurate, non-controversial video that the Daily Signal produced in 2017 portraying the Border Patrol horsepack units in a positive light. This is such an egregious double standard. And it's really interesting if you think about it in the context of the political debate that's unfolding over big tech, where some conservatives want to amend the protections that social media companies such as Twitter uh, get uh, because they believe they don't moderate, uh, because, because many conservatives believe that these social media companies moderate too much content and are often biased in the way they do it. On the other hand, you hear a lot of liberals who want to reform these protections because they believe these platforms aren't doing enough to crack down on harmful misinformation. Well, in this case, Twitter censored fact-based conservative content from the Daily Signal while opting not to correct harmful misinformation that at this point has personally smeared that Border Patrol and, and probably caused enormous harm to his family. I can only imagine what he's going through. So this is a huge egregious double standard, uh, again, that I, I'm glad we're talking about. I'm glad we're calling out. And uh, you know, I'm glad we're doing our part to stand up for these men and women who do make great sacrifices all day and all night to protect uh, individuals on both sides of the border. It's so important. Uh, one of the other videos we, pr- we produced when we were down there was on the Borstar Unit, Border Patrol Search and Rescue Unit. And this is a unit that we our tax our taxpayer dollars fund uh, for special agents to be able to go out into very dangerous terrains to rescue men, women, and children who are making this dangerous journey and get trapped. Uh, you know, we we sadly know some of them don't make it out alive, uh, but we 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 use our taxpayer dollars to protect these people, not to cause them harm. And it's so mm-hmm. unfortunate that that these social media companies have enabled that narrative to play out when, when we know it couldn't be further from the truth. These men and women who patrol our border deserve our support. They are simply trying to do 
a job and an impossible one, given the Biden administration's border uh, border policies at that. Mm, so critical. And I think just, uh, <laughs> Kelsey, what you said, it just so highlights really uh, so often the hypocrisy that we we do see from the left that, you know, the very men and women that are actually really trying to help these individuals who are making this dangerous trek are then the ones that that the left is smearing. And recently, uh, just a, a few months ago, The Daily Signal produced a number of documentaries, a, a new documentary series on the border. We'll also link those in the show notes of just discussing how uh, how the border crisis is actually you know, affecting farmers and ranchers that live on the border, how Border Patrol agents are are dealing with this on a day to day basis, the tragedies that they're seeing of women and children being brought across and these incredibly uh, hard circumstances that they are put through. I, I watched uh, earlier this week a, a clip on Fox News from uh, Chad Wolf, who's the former uh, United States Acting Secretary of Homeland Security uh, and now is uh, a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And, you know, he says the terminology is really critical right now as we're dealing with this border crisis. There's literally thousands of Haitians on our southern border right now trying to make their way into the United States. And we're hearing from the U.S. government that, yes, some of these individuals are being put on planes and deported back to Haiti, but many are being put uh, through removal proceedings. That terminology is essentially another word for catch and release. They're given a court date, uh, then they're allowed to go into the U.S., and, you know, if their court date is, is a year from now, the likelihood that they're actually going to come back to hear their asylum claims heard is extremely unlikely. So Wolf was saying, you know, probably between 9,000 and 10,000 migrants are ultimately going to end up in the U.S. Those are the migrants who have been under the bridge in Del, Del Rio, um, who are, are from Haiti, about 9,000 to 10,000 of those people ultimately will wind up making their way into the U.S. These are massive numbers. Uh, and again, it, it does, when, when we don't know who's coming into our country, it creates dangers, it creates issues, uh, it puts strains on various communities across the country. There is a right way, there is a correct way to allow individuals to come into this country. And that doesn't look like just swinging the borders open. We need to know who's coming in and we you know, we want individuals coming in. This is a country that we have always celebrated people coming from other nations, but there is a process for that. And we want to make sure that that process is done correctly. Absolutely. And I'll end on the fact that there are more of these caravans coming. Uh, this was not the last already. We're seeing reports of them making their way up uh, through other countries heading to Mexico. Mexico just had to open a stadium to house some of them. So <laughs> You know, they, they clearly have the message that if, if they just overwhelm uh, our border patrol enough, they'll make it into this country. And that's exactly what's happening. And it will happen again. Well, stay with us because up next, Kelsey and I are going to break down the far left's attempt to replace the word women to ensure inclusivity of those who identify as transgender. All that coming up next. But first, I want to tell you all about a super fun way you can stay connected with Problematic Women throughout the week. Problematic Women is on Instagram. You can catch 
highlights from the show, fun reels, inspiring social graphics, and stay informed on what we are covering just by following Problematic Women on Instagram. I have loved connecting with many of our listeners out there. If you're listening, thank you so much to everyone who has sent me a DM or commented on our posts. It's so fun getting to hear from our listeners. So please keep those coming. And if you are not following Problematic Women on Instagram, be sure to do so. Just search for Problematic Women and then look for that bright pink logo. In an effort to make the world more gender neutral, the far left is weeding out the word women. September 18th was the one-year anniversary of the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The leftist legal group, American Civil Liberties Union, shared a quote from Ginsburg on Twitter. In the original quote, Ginsburg expressed her words of support for women who have had abortions. The ACLU changed Ginsburg's words by removing the words women, her, and she within the quote. Here is what uh, Ginsburg originally said. This was her original quote. She said, the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. It is a decision she must make for herself. When government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. All right, so... We can obviously, there, there's a whole separate conversation we can just have about that quote and, uh, you know, issues within that and the topic of abortion. But right now, we're just focusing on the words within this quote. So now I want to read with you for you what the ACLU changed Ruth Bader Ginsburg's words to. They posted this on Twitter. They said, the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life to their well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for people, they are being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for their own choices. So the word women has now somehow, according to the far left, become offensive. Not quite sure how we got there. The ACLU has now apologized for changing Ruth Bader Ginsburg's quote, the ACLU executive director, Anthony Romero, said, this is a quote, he said, having spent time with Justice Ginsburg, I would like to believe that if she were alive today, she would encourage us to evolve our language to encompass a broader vision of gender, identity, and sexuality. So this got me thinking, is that true? Would Ruth Bader Ginsburg have advocated for using the term people instead of women? Kelsey, what do you think? Well, of course, the ACLU would like to believe that. They can't know. We can't know how Ruth Bader Ginsburg would actually feel. And therefore, changing her quote without her permission uh, is, is quite a leap. Uh, it's very bold and uh, certainly not something I would do. We know the left are they're big fans of revisionist history, so this should surprise no one. Uh, in fact, uh, the ACLU changing the Ginsburg quote is not the only example in recent days we've seen of the far left removing the term women on claims of inclusivity. 
So here's another example. Last week, The Lancet, which is one of the world's oldest general medical journals, also erased the term women on its cover of the latest edition. The cover, which was also promoted all over Twitter, read, historically, the anatomy and physiology of bodies with, pardon my language, vaginas, have been neglected. After considerable pushback, the editor-in-chief of The Lancet apologized, stating in part, we have conveyed the impression that we have dehumanized and marginalized women. Those who read The Lancet regularly will understand that this would never have been our attention. I apologize to our readers who were offended by the cover quote and the use of those same words in the review. At the same time, I want to emphasize that transgender health is an important dimension of modern healthcare, but one that remains neglected. Mm. So <laughs> this, yeah. this was like, okay, I don't know what's worse, changing a woman's quotes who is dead or the terminology used by the Lancet here, which I regret repeating but the anatomy and physiology of bodies with vaginas. That is how this medical journal now wants to describe and refer to women, which, are, mm-hmm. which is worse. I don't know. <laughs> well, the shocking thing here is this is a medical journal. I mean, we might expect this from you know, a more uh, far left leaning outlet of some sort, but This is a medical journal. Individuals that are supposed to be uh, rooted and grounded in science, and they are now uh, moving and and shifting, essentially, a a very common definition of women. Who has vaginas? Women have vaginas. We can all agree on that. That's not controversial. And and for them to try and uh, somehow kind of whitewash the words and and say okay you know in order to be inclusive we have to we can't say women here we have to change the terminology i think first and foremost i think this is uh, very devaluing of women is probably the biggest issue i take with this i think it it's a real insult to women uh, and it is it's a slap in the face at in many ways to the feminist movement that uh, first wave feminism that has worked very, very hard to earn so many critical rights for women and to provide opportunities for women. It's so interesting that this medical journal, we don't read articles referring to men in terms of their body parts that I am not Mm -hmm. even going to say on air. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is it always women who have to face this type of demeaning terminology? Why, why are we constantly expected to put up with it in the name of inclusivity, acknowledging the biological reality of women uh, does not, does not automatically exclude the fact that uh, certain population uh, identifies as transgender. Two things can be true at once. We don't (laughs) need to erase the female, uh, population in order to be inclusive of another. I also want to note the CDC has been following suit. Uh, I've been, uh, I, I, for those who don't know, I'm, I guess, over seven months pregnant now. And according to the CDC, I'm a pregnant person, not a pregnant (laughs) woman. If you look at all of the CDC's COVID-19 vaccine information, um, or even just, high risk information for 
pregnant people, it refers to us as pregnant people, not pregnant women. I find this very demeaning. Being pregnant is not easy. Uh, <laughs> women um, go through a lot and men, it's something that men are just not capable of. And to erase the terminology, erase the biological reality that enables women to be pregnant is extremely demeaning and a basic denial of truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, Kelsey, I think that's so critical. The point you raised that, you know, we can, we don't have to, we don't have to diminish or, or demean or devalue the role of women, the beauty of women, the ability of a woman to carry a child, which only a woman can do in order to support those who are struggling with gender dysphoria or who identify as transgender we can love that community really well and as we should those those are human individuals anyone who identifies as transgender who's struggling being comfortable in their own body and their own skin they are deserving of love they're deserving of of support of being journeyed with we can love them really well at the same time we don't have to be literally erasing the word women in order to do that. We don't have to be uh, diminishing or, or demeaning women in order for them to feel uh, to feel accepted or loved. That is the farthest thing from the truth. I, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> this is a big subject, Kelsey. But you know, speaking of, of areas where the left in many ways has gone too far, I know there is an issue, Kelsey, that is really close to your heart, that is personal to you. And that is the government's attempted takeover of childcare, of, of daycare, of preschool. Kelsey, you're a mom. You have a two-year-old and, and another child on the way. Explain a little bit about this issue and what is happening here. Yeah, so Democrats are actively working overtime to expand their control over our children. You have probably heard about the $3.5 trillion spending blowout, the largest spending bill proposed in history, by the way. And included in that package is funding for universal pre-K and government-funded daycare. This means handing the government millions of dollars so they can take care of our two-year-olds instead of ourselves. Parents have every reason to fear that a government-approved preschool and daycare program would create the same exact problems that parents are facing in the K-12 public schools. Uh, Specifically, in light of COVID-19, we saw massive failures and curriculum controversies Uh, involving CRT, transgender ideology, and more. So really, after after that massive failure last year, what the government is now asking is for more control of our children, for government to be in charge of childcare and daycare and preschool, not parents or private institutions. I think it's important to note that greater daycare or preschool enrollment does not according to studies, improve outcomes, and it may actually cause harm. A federal study of Head Start, which is the existing child care and early education program uh, that exists to help low-income children, showed no academic benefits and actually some emotional harms. So these programs at times can be very helpful for at-risk students, those who are truly in need but there is no evidence to support these types of benefits for the general population. There's no evidence that says 
uh, these types of programs would be good for our young children. Well, I think about who do I want raising my kids when I have kids? You know, I think about the next generation and who do I want raising that next generation? Who do I want instructing them from an early age, having influence on their life? And parents is my answer. That's the role of the parents. That's the role of the household. I know so many parents need support. And of course, that's critical. We need to have daycare options for families, uh, for for anyone that doesn't have family living close by. I know many people don't have the option of, of calling their mom to say, hey, can you watch my child while, you know, either I just run errands or while I work or whatever. So yes, there's such a need for, for daycare, but what is motivating that uh, as far as, you know, the, the individuals, the folks who, who are running it, are they motivated by just a sincere love of, of loving children well and supporting children for parents? Or is there a, a larger agenda, a larger motive here? And, you know, I, I was thinking about uh, something that, that Lennon said, and then a verse in the Bible, which you don't usually have, have Lennon and scripture quoted together, but they're actually in, in parallel here. So Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Children are so, uh, so malleable really in many ways, what we teach them, how we instruct them shapes their lives. And similarly, we read that as well in the Bible in Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's sort of this universal truth, no matter if you're way on the socialist end or, you know, you're very conservative or raised in the church. There's an understanding of, yes, children are are deeply influenced from a young age and the way that they're instructed and and trained and, and taught when they're young that actually deeply influences the way that they live their lives when they're adults. I think, gosh, do I do I really want the government having such a massive role in in the care and the teaching and the training of children from literally the time that they're babies? Yeah, and in light of that, Virginia, actually, we saw the governor of Virginia uh, just uh, just this week say, quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. And so this is this is the left attitude towards parenting and education and the and the role that they believe um, parents play in that dynamic. And what the left wants to do is give the government more control over our children by starting them in daycares and child cares and pre-K. Um, I, I want to say I understand, <laughs> having gone through it, uh, child care is very expensive. There aren't always good or easy options. And the idea of, quote-unquote, free daycare or, quote-unquote, free preschool sounds kind of appealing uh, when you first hear of it. But when, when you mm-hmm. really think about it, what, what this proposal is doing is subsidizing one choice that parents can make over others. We know many parents, the vast majority of parents, actually prefer uh, to have a family member helping to care for their child, a home, a home-based provider, or a mix of uh, you know multiple of these options. And actually, the vast majority of women, uh, according to polls, would prefer a flexible work schedule so that they can 
be involved in raising their children at these very young ages. I would ask you to find any mother on the street who would tell you, my number one option is to send my child to a government-run daycare (laughs) from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. That is just, that that person doesn't exist. I don't want to shame any mothers or fathers who make that decision, or um, many of them don't have many choices, but that is not the ideal solution. And yet that is the solution, that is the only solution that the government is attempting to subsidize right now. And in subsidizing that, what they're effectively doing is punishing parents who make alternative choices, punishing parents who do not choose to send their child to government-run daycare, who choose to uh, perhaps take a step back from work, take a pay cut to have a more flexible work schedule where they can be involved in raising their children. So this is a very real issue we need to talk about. Of course, there's a financial aspect. This is another unfunded entitlement program. Uh, But more importantly, is it what parents really want? Again, I understand as a parent that it sounds nice on the face of it, but there are very few parents who would actually choose this option as their primary option. And because of that, we should be having a more serious conversation about how workplaces can enable more flexible work options so that parents can play a larger role in raising their children while also continuing to uh, pursue their career. Um, so <laughs> this is, uh, this is a huge issue that unfortunately is kind of getting overlooked because this $3.5 trillion spending bill is full with so many other liberal priorities that we're not able to have a real conversation and debate about this. And, and what's more important than raising our children in these early years, this deserves uh, a much more prominent place in our public conversation right now. And you are promoting, Kelsey, that that public conversation, the need to be talking about this. You work at the Independent Women's Forum, and they are really tackling this issue head first right now. Tell us a little bit about what the Independent Women's Forum is doing on this issue. Yeah, in addition to running a, a public education campaign, trying to uh, help parents <laughs> uh, understand what these proposals actually include what they would mean for uh, for our children, very young children. Uh, we have launched a petition to stop government takeover of daycare and preschool. Uh, your listeners can find it just by going to iwf.org. You just sign it and it enables us to enable your voice to be heard. We know, again, while this issue is getting overlooked, it is very important. We want better, more affordable solutions for daycares and childcare uh, IWF, along with Heritage, both have put out multiple policy papers on uh, better solutions that can enable parents to have more affordable choices in terms of daycares and, and childcare. Uh, but we, what we don't want is a government-subsidized one-size-fits-all option because we know that one-size-fits-all option is not what parents want. Again, that's iwf.org to sign that petition. Stay with us because up next, we're going to be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. 
Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now it is that time once again to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And this week, the crown goes to... The New York subway lady. So we don't actually know this woman's name. Uh, That's why we're calling her the New York subway lady. Uh, But you might have seen this viral video of a woman ripping down advertisements on a subway for the dating app OkCupid. The ads featured images that the woman in this viral video called gross. They were pictures uh, like a a couple kissing and their tongues actually becoming one. The explicit ad campaign by OkCupid is called Every Single Person, and it's meant to promote a dating culture that accepts everyone, non-binary people, pansexuals, monogamous, non-monogamous. The list is, is very long. Yeah, so this woman can be heard in the video accusing OkCupid of normalizing perversion in all types of sexuality. OkCupid responded in cue by saying, of course, that is exactly what we are trying to do. Yeah, and so is like, oh, wow, they're they're not hiding it at all. They're so open about it. So to the woman in the New York subway, great job for for taking a stand and really for trying to protect children from, I think, what uh, what we can honestly call pornography. Well done. Well, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Woman. Join us next Thursday for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please take a moment, if you have not done so already, to subscribe and share the show conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on spotify Castbox, apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast it really does make a difference have a great week and we'll see y'all next thursday problematic women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the heritage foundation it is a product of the daily signal produced by lauren evans and virginia allen Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.